come on a journey with a cinephile. to episode number 52 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, your tour guide here, David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio. Now, from the last couple episodes, this one's going to be a little bit shorter as things got a little bit hectic and busy. I had some technical difficulties, and I also hosted a party for the Ohio State-Penn State game. So, not that many of you are all that sports fans out there, but just kind of wanted to kind of give you a little bit of background why this is going to be a little bit shorter of an episode. But I also wanted to get everything back on track as well on my end. This is going to be also my first ever Halloween episode where I'm going to have a featured review of one of the last few of the Halloween series that I have not, you know, watched with a critical eye and, you know, rated and review and everything like that. I think I might even say that in my review of it. But I have Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And then I was also trying to find a 2020 release that, you know, embodied the Halloween spirit. So I ended up doing Hubie Halloween. Not necessarily a horror movie, but I mean, it has enough elements and I will delve into that a little bit more. And I also only have a mini review of one film, which is going to be The Leech Woman, which I kind of think I also say in there that I almost was considering doing that as a featured review here, but I wanted to get more into the spirit and everything like that. So those will be what I'll have on this episode, but before I cut you over to, you know, that mini review as well as the featured reviews, I want to do my monthly review. And for here, I had watched 53 total movies during the month of October, 51 of which were horror films, and 21 of them were new horror films, and a lot of that is thanks to the Nightmares Film Festival. Now, the all the horror films that I watched are Jew on the Grudge, Homewrecker, the Devil's Rejects, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Possessor Uncut, Hocus Pocus, The Flesh and the Fiends, Ganja and Hess, The Hills Have Eyes, Wrong Turn 2, Dead End, Wreck 2, Society, Saw 2, Shivers, The Fun House, Adam Age Vampire, The Invisible Man from 2020, Blackenstein, 12 Hour Shift, Fears of the Dark, The Witch Who Came from the Sea, Demons, Resident Evil Apocalypse, The Night of the Hunter, Day of the Dead, Cube 2 Hypercube, Camp Twilight, Sweet Taste of Souls, House of Usher, The Host, Jaws 3D, Victim of Love, It Cuts Deep, 2 Freddy, Poppy Ramirez vs. Giant Scorpions, Hail to the Deadites, Evil Takes Root, Goodbye Honey, What Happens Next Will Scare You, Nightboat, The Quiet Revolution, State Society and the Canadian Horror Film, Climate of the Hunter, Bab, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, Meander, Legend of Boggy Creek, Black Bear, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, Leech Woman, Hubie Halloween, and Deep Red. 
Now, all of those you can hear on either some past episodes or, you know, on this episode as well. But Homewrecker is going to be featured over on the Dark Discussions podcast as well as there's another movie that I didn't review on here or didn't put on here because it wasn't a horror film. But those will be found over there. Ganja and Hesh you can find over on the podcast Under the Stairs for Movie Club Challenge. And then Deep Red is also going to be over on the T-Puts Collective for Where to Begin with Giallo. Now, the average year of the movie that I watched for this month is 2001. The oldest movie I watched is from 1955 with The Night of the Hunter. All of the new horror films that I watched were Homewrecker, Possessor Uncut, 12-Hour Shift, Camp Twilight, Sweet Taste of Souls, Victim of Love, It Cuts Deep, Two Freddy, Poppy Ramirez vs. Giant Scorpions, Hail to the Deadites, Evil Takes Root, Goodbye Honey, What Happens Next Will Scare You, Night Boat, The Quiet Revolution, State Society, and the Canadian Horror Film, Climate of the Hunter, Bab, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, Meander, Black Bear, and Hubie Halloween. The average rating actually came out to be a round number of 7. The highest rated would be Day of the Dead at a 10, and then the lowest rated was Sweet Taste of Souls. So that's all I really wanted to have here for the you know monthly review. What I'm going to go ahead and do, though, is kick you over to a musical break before I get into that mini review, and I hope you enjoy coming on this journey with me. <laughs> Tonight is the night. Halloween. Yes. Here's some shoes for your costume. Clap your hands, stomp your feet. Tonight's the night. We're going out. It's time to trick or treat and get freaky. <laughs> Clap your hands, stomp your feet. Tonight's the night. We're going out. It's time to trick or treat. It's time to trick or treat. Oh, Halloween. We're going out. It's time to trick or treat. It gets the shoes, your costume. Clap your hands, stomp your feet. Tonight's the night. We're going out. It's time to trick or treat and get freaky. <laughs> And for my first mini review here, this is originally going to be the featured review on this episode, but then I kind of decided to do something a little bit more in the vein of, you know, Halloween. So this one's going to be the 1960s film, The Leech Woman. This is directed by Edward Dean. This comes from a screenplay by David Duncan. This is from the story by Ben Pivar and Francis Rosenwald. This is starring Colleen Gray, Grant Williams, and Philip Terry. This is a horror romance sci-fi film from the United States that is currently sitting on a 4.6 and it is also sitting on a 2.5 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being an endocrinologist in a defunctional marriage with an aging alcoholic wife journeys to Africa seeking a drug that will restore youth. Now this is a movie that I know I've heard about but I wasn't really sure about it in the same vein which if that makes sense now i'm familiar though that charles band probably stole part of this idea for the puppet master character 
But this is a movie that was, you know, from 1960 that I hadn't seen, and it was easily accessible on Amazon Prime. Now, we start this off in a, in a hallway where we have Mala, who is Estelle Hemsley, enters a door to the office of Dr. Paul Talbot, who is portrayed by Terry. It's confirmed what the synopsis states that he's an endocrinologist. Now, we are given an odd scene where he is bickering with his wife of June, who's portrayed by Gray. The love in their marriage is gone. She drinks a lot to cope with him, and, you know, he calls her out on it. It seems that she gets violent at times, and he actually prefers this since this is the only time that she actually shows emotion. And I'll be honest here, though, he's a jerk. He treats her bad, and he's burying himself in his work. She still loves him and just really wants to know that he still feels something for her. Paul, though, on the other hand, says he'll give her a divorce. He tells her to start the proceedings with their lawyer. That is when his assistant of Sally, who is Gloria Talbot, comes in. The old woman we saw of Mala is there for an experiment. They run tests and confirm that she is quite old. She then has Sally sent away and tells Paul about this powder that she has. She claims to be over 150 years old, and that is the secret. She agrees to prove it if he will provide her the funds to go back to her people in Africa. At home, we get to see that June is wasted. She's talking to Neil Foster, who's portrayed by Grant Williams. Now, he is their lawyer. He's trying to get an assessment to start the proceedings when Paul comes home, and he has changed his mind and wants June to come with him to Africa. She is so happy and that, you know, he's being affectionate towards her. The next problem, though, is finding a guide. Paul seeks out Bartram Garvey, who is John Van Drelen, who states that he will not go to that area, and he's not actually allowed to. The tribe is hostile, and they're instructed to be left alone. The amount of money that Paul is offering, though, does change his mind. And then this guide also drops about seeing an old woman heading there who must be Mala. Now, they end up finding this village there, and then we see Mala actually do the ritual that makes her into a younger version of herself, portrayed by Kim Hamilton. June is offered to go through the same ritual. Now, somebody has to be sacrificed, and it has to be a male. It's pretty interesting who she chooses here. And then we also get to see that her mind is poisoned from the idea of being young forever. Now, that's where I want to leave my recap of the movie. And I have to say, I really like the social commentary aspect that we're getting here. I've already, you know, went into a little bit with how Paul treats June, and I actually feel bad for her when, you know, she's how beaten down she is by him and has to turn to alcohol to cope. It isn't good, but she's also in a bad place and just lacks self-confidence here. Now, there are also the dots that June connects that when males get older, they tend to age more gracefully where women are looked down upon. A male is needed to make women younger, and we also get this interesting look later on at what happens when a woman is tried to be used for this ritual. Now, I don't want to say that June isn't completely blameless here for where she ends up. What I really take from this is the change in her character is that she's been beaten down for so long and has been given a little bit of power back that she's going overboard with getting what she wants now. It is really a classic sign of someone who's been bullied and then they get their revenge. I fall into the camp that she is doing some of the things to people isn't right, but some of them deserve it. It is interesting, though, that everyone who dies here, aside from the sacrifice for Mala, have wronged June in some way before she kills them. The title of this movie is also interesting. I get why it's used, but I don't necessarily understand since blood isn't being used or being drained from anybody. A sacrifice of a male is needed, but it isn't their blood. It is a fluid from a gland that they have. It really feels like when they were brainstorming, someone came up with the idea since how leeches survive, and a lot of time during this era, you were combining you know, man, woman, or people with different animals for their titles. Now, as for the performances, I thought Grey was pretty interesting. She starts off such as a sympathetic character. I feel horrible for her, but I also want to see her get her revenge. She then becomes the villain. I thought she played both, both parts well. Williams is fine for the most part, but there is a stretch there where he's gaslighting Sally, who he's engaged to be married to. I think this could be partly 
due to the time it was made, but he annoyed me since we're supposed to see him as a good person. Terry is a jerk and I think he gets his just punishment. I think we're made to hate him, but not necessarily for the reasons that I did. And I thought the rest of the cast rounded this out for what was needed. Then really the last thing I kind of wanted to go into was that this is a universal film, but I'm also disappointed with the effects. I think they do well to make June and Malo look old. The skin is loose and almost leathery, which works. It is interesting that they went with a younger person of Hamilton to play Mala, but that is also fine. What I don't like is the lack of a transformation. I know they can do things like we saw previously, you know, a couple decades before this in The Wolfman where they just use time lapse and I think that would work here. Aside from that, they have a sheet of smoke or steam that go up to hide it. Since you're subbing out actresses for Mala, I'm forgiving there, I just think it's weak with Grey. And I've heard that this is the last in this like classic universal run, so it could probably be budgetary. I just expect more. I did like the safari nature shots. I thought those were good, along with the rest of the cinematography. Now, I think that there's some good concepts, commentary, and premises at work here. I just think that there's a little bit lacking still, and I mean, the issue with the effects is what really kind of irked me a little bit with this one. Not enough to say that I hated it, though. I will warn you, it is from 60 and, you know, in black and white, so if that's a problem, I would avoid this. If not, I think this is a lesser universal film that I still found to be interesting and came in with a 6 out of 10 on this movie. So it has been a busy weekend, so that's all I got to end up watching. So what I'm going to go ahead and do, though, is get you over to the trailer of my first featured review. Do you know what today is? Do you know the date? Every day I look at myself in the mirror. And every day I remember... Let them take it out of here. Now he's escaped. I knew this day would come. What brings you back here for 10 years? Michael Myers. 10 years ago, he tried to kill Laurie Strode. Now he wants her daughter. Wherever she is, that little child is in mortal danger. Myers has been locked up since before she was born. He's never laid eyes on her. You're talking about him as if he were a human being. That part of him died years ago. Six bodies, Sheriff! That's what I've seen! Michael Myers is here in this town. He's here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Our phone and power lines are down and we have a killer running loose in the street. Starting to spook me, Doc. At least I'm not alone. What is he? The hell are we dealing with? Evil.
And for my first featured review on this episode, I wanted to get a little bit into the Halloween spirit by watching Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. This is one of the few ones that I had not, you know, critically rated and reviewed yet. This is from 1988. This is directed by Dwight H. Little. This comes from a story from Dahani Lipsis, Larry Ratner, Benjamin Ruffner, Alan B. McElroy, who also wrote the screenplay. This is starring Donald Pleasance, Ellie Cornell, and introducing Danielle Harris. And we also have George P. Wilbur, who portrays Michael Myers. We have Michael Pataki, Bo Starr, Kathleen Kinmont, Sasha Jensen, Gene Ross, Carmen Philpy, Raymond O'Connor, Jeff Olson, Karen Alston, Nancy Borgenick, and David Jensen. This is a horror thriller that is from the United States, and it is currently sitting on a 5.9 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, 10 years after the original massacre, the invalid Michael Myers awakens on Halloween Eve and returns to Haddonfield to kill his seven-year-old niece. Can Dr. Loomis stop him? Now, this is a movie that I actually don't remember the first time that I saw it. I know I would have seen it a lot when it would come up on AMC's Fright Fest for October, so it is one that I've seen quite a bit. I'm not even sure if I saw the original one before seeing this one or not, as it's kind of just cloudy, you know, in my youth. Regardless, I know I picked up the DVD while I was in college, but I probably hadn't seen it in some time. And then just to kind of delve into some of the major players here, this was the horror directorial debut for... Dwight H. Little. He would then go on the next year to do The Phantom of the Opera from 1989 starring Robert England. Quite some time would go by before he would direct Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid in 2004, and he's done quite a bit of horror television as well in between and after some of these things, because he did an episode of Freddy's Nightmares, Sleepy Hollow, and From Dust Till Dawn the series. Now this is the only writing credit for Dahani Lipsis, Larry Ratner, and Benjamin Ruffner who all helped come up with the story. Now, Alan B. McElroy is a name that did pop up for me here recently because he also wrote the screenplay for the Wrong Turn movie, and then he also wrote Wheels of Terror, which was a TV movie. He also did Spawn, and I think he did some of the like television shows that would come uh, around there as well. And then I've also seen another movie he did called Three with the first E being an, an actual number. It's actually not that great of a movie, but it's also not that bad. He's also credited for, obviously, the characters from the Wrong Turn sequels, as well as doing some television in there as well. I recently went into what Pleasance has done on the episode with the Flesh and the Fiends. I'll just reiterate, this might not be his best performance, but he's still a legend. And then Ellie Cornell doesn't have a long career with only 22 credits. Now, spoiler, she does return for the sequel. And then it's been some time after that where she was then in House of the Dead, and that was like a decade and a half later. She appeared in its sequel as well as All Souls Day, Dia de los Muertos. She was also in Room 6, The Thirst from 2006, Dead and Deader in the Dark Room, all in the genre. Personally, I've seen both House of the Dead movies as well as Dead and Deader, and I'll just be honest, you're not missing much if you haven't. Now, Danielle Harris, of course, is a Scream Queen. This is her first movie, and she would also appear in its sequel. She'd go on to do Urban Legend, Rob Zombie's Halloweens, Cyrus, The Hatchet Series, and Stakeland, just to name some of her credits. Now for this movie. We start on October 30th, 1988. An ambulance goes to a state-run sanitarium where they're keeping Michael Myers. This is picking up as a synopsis states, you know, 10 years after the first two movies. The movie is a bit unrealistic as to what happens at the end of two with Michael and Dr. Loomis. 
who are, of course, Donald Pleasance and, as I said, Wilbur, respectively. But I will digress there. Now, two attendants are there to collect Michael. They're running late due to the heavy storm, and the doctor in charge of Dr. Hoffman, who is Pataki, is ready to get rid of this patient. The attendants ask about Dr. Loomis, and we get the idea that he's not well-liked and hoping with Michael gone that he'll just retire or just pass away. They hit the road and bring up that Michael has a niece. Now we end up seeing him kill the attendants, causing a car accident. We then shift over to Haddonfield, Halloween morning. Jamie Lloyd, who is Harris, is the niece of Michael that we were hearing about. Her mother was Lori Strode, and this poor girl is an orphan after her parents died in a car accident. We then first get to meet Jamie, as she is having trouble sleeping and thinks that she sees an ambulance and Michael outside. Her adopted sister of Rachel Carruthers, who is Cornell, convinces her to go back to bed and where, you know, she has another nightmare. The next morning is an interesting interaction where Darlene, who is Karen Olston, informs her daughter of Rachel that she's going to have to babysit when their one that they had lined up cancels. She isn't happy about this as she has a date that night with Brady, who is Jensen. She is carrying on, and Jamie unfortunately overhears. This causes her to feel horrible for being a pain to which Rachel does what she can to cheer her up. Jamie has it rough in that she also has been bullied at school due to who her uncle is and her being an orphan, which these kids are very cruel in this movie. Dr. Loomis comes into work to find out that Michael has been moved the previous night. He's not shocked to hear that there was an accident, and he goes to hunt to find him. This leads to a gas station where Michael kills the mechanic and others working there. He takes the jumpsuit off the mechanic, puts that on, and when Dr. Loomis shows up, leaves the place in a state of mayhem. Dr. Loomis has to hitchhike in order to get back to Haddonfield, where he meets with the new sheriff of Ben Meeker, who in this is Star. It doesn't take long for Michael to start killing as he looks for his niece. Sheriff Meeker calls for a curfew, which upsets some men in town. They create a posse looking for Michael as well. Now, Jamie gets separated from Rachel while they're out, and there's also this weird interest that the younger girl has in her choice of costume as she dresses up a clown like similar to what Michael did on his first fateful night when he killed his original sister there. Now, can Jamie survive the night from her monstrous uncle? And if she does, what will be left of her psyche? Now, I'll admit, I have a lot of nostalgia for this movie since I used to see it as much as I did. When I was younger, I really had a crush on Harris, and that's not to say I don't anymore, but she's just still adorable. And I think that they do an interesting way of building upon her backstory with Michael Myers. Being a little bit older, I can see that this one is really borrowing heavy from the original. We have him making his escape from a mental hospital, making his way to Haddonfield, being hunted by Dr. Loomis, and then our characters, you know, making a stand. There are some other similar deaths here as well. But that's not to say, though, that I hated all of this. And I mean, this is very is following a very you know similar formula to a lot of slashers as well. Now, having watched the original quite a few times, I don't necessarily need the angle of Michael being related to Laurie or Jamie. Since I grew up with it as long as I have, I do still have a soft spot for it. It really is scarier, though, when this guy is just being a psycho who is going out around killing people on Halloween. There is still something, though, in the fact that at this time, he has an insatiable need to kill his family as he is just, you know, pure evil. But, I mean, as I was kind of going on, I like how in that first movie that Laurie kind of seems to keep eluding him, so it's more of a challenge to end her because of her being able to get away as much as she does. Now, I don't know if the character of Loomis works here as well as it does previously. The burn on his face doesn't necessarily match up to what we saw at the end of Halloween 2. If I'm going to ignore that, I do think that Pleasance as well is showing someone who's ascended into madness. Like I said, not his greatest performance, but 
when I think of it, there's an interesting duality here between him and Michael. His obsession is this patient that until he dies, he'll never be able to fully not worry about all that Michael wants to do. And all Michael worry about is killing Jamie. So they have definitely similar kind of psyches and similar ways about going about things, just different in what they're focused on. Before moving on to other aspects of the movie, I also wanted to bring up the mob and their mentality here. Sheriff Meeker is told by Dr. Loomis that Michael is back. It is interesting that he believes him and he immediately puts in a curfew. Currently living in this pandemic for COVID is interesting because Earl, who is portrayed by Ross in this, owns a local bar and tries to call the police. When he can't get through, he rounds up his guys to go down there with their guns and see what's going on. Very similar to stuff that we saw in some places when they were told that they you know, had to close down the economy. The reason this really resonates is that is exactly, as I was saying, what happened when we had to shut down. We also see that what happens when you let people run rampant with their guns as these guys end up killing somebody by accident. And they also kind of create a lot of mayhem because they're not very well trained. And, you know, when you have complete anarchy, this is what you get. What I really want to take on is the acting, though, from here. I've already said my piece on Pleasance. I really like Cornell. She is cute and plays this typical high school girl well. Now, she is worried about if she doesn't go out with her boyfriend, what he might do. This, of course, much more to life, but for her, someone her age, there isn't, and she doesn't realize that yet. Harris is also adorable, as I said in this movie, and I just feel bad for her. There's a lot going on with her, you know, someone at her age should have to deal with, but, you know, she isn't great, but I believe her, and I can buy her performance. Wilbur is fine, body-wise, as Michael. I do like Star as the new sheriff, and I would also say that the rest of the cast rounds us out for what was needed, even though it would have been nice to have seen Kinmont completely topless, if I'm going to be honest. Next, I'll take us to the effects. This movie is a bit more brutal than I remember. It fits well in the latter half of the slasher boom, though, and it's interesting that it came out in a time where we were getting more comedy in our types of movies like this. What I did notice is that we could get to see the deaths, but they would cut away without going to anything gory. I'm assuming this is probably in part due to censorship, to be honest, though, I think it's fine. We get some interesting deaths regardless. I don't really like the mask for Michael. That was really a step back from the previous two movies for sure, and I've also seen memes about how the cover of it and the poster give us one thing, and what we get here is definitely not that. Aside from that, though, I say the cinematography was fine, and the last thing I want to go over would be the soundtrack. I have to give credit that they kept the main Halloween theme that John Carpenter did. This one you can tell he didn't score outside of that. It does look like Alan Howard did the score for this one, as it isn't as iconic, but I say that he did good, and I think the rest of the score fits for what was needed. And then just to kind of go through some trivia, there's a lot of it on IMDb, so I'm not necessarily going to do all of them, but Daniel Harris sold the clown costume to a fan, just so Daniel Harris wouldn't be scared. Wilbur would often lift up his mask between takes to remind her they were just making a movie and he was not going to hurt her. McElroy wrote the script in 11 days and beat the writer's strike by mere hours. Little did extensive research on the history of Halloween and many of its harvest images were put up in the creepy opening sequence. Originally, that the girl who drove Rachel was supposed to be Lindsay Wallace from Halloween and have a much larger role as her friend and help babysit Jamie, but being due to budgetary reasons, they had to cut this out. And then there's supposed to be a third boy hanging out with Brady and Wade in the drugstore was meant to be Tommy Doyle from the original film. So they were really trying to tie a lot of things back in, but it just didn't work out. Jamie's name in the original script was Britton, Brittany Lloyd, but was changed in homage to Jamie Lee Curtis. John Carpenter did write a treatment for this film that had more ghostly psychological approach to the Myers mythos. 
It concerned the town of Haddonfield and the effects of the first two things. The concept was rejected, though, by producers in favor of a typical slasher fare, at which point is when Carpenter left the picture, making this the first in the series that he did not participate. Melissa Joan Hart did audition for the role of Jamie. Leaves had to be imported and squash was painted to look like pumpkins. The drugstore was also used in the Stephen King's The Stand from 1994. This is also, like I said, the film debut of Daniel Harris. Wilbur is the third tallest actor to play Michael Myers at 6'2 and a half. This is the first time that Myers is created with his name as opposed to being credited as the shape. When Dr. Loomis asks for Bracken at the police station, the deputy says that Bracken retired in 81. This is reference to the year Halloween 2's release where Bracken was last seen. Due to budgetary reasons, this is the first Halloween to be shot in 185-1 aspect ratio. Dwight H. Little had to feed Carmen Philpy all of his lines because he had trouble remembering them. And Wilbur was 47 playing the 31-year-old Michael Myers. And the last thing I want to say was Cornell kept the jean jacket that she wore in this. So now just with that all said, this movie is of course not as good as I remember it as a child. It also isn't as bad as I was expecting now watching it with a critical eye. I can see its flaws, but I still enjoy it as a, you know, ladder slasher and is fine as a sequel to a classic. Not all the story elements work and I don't necessarily need the family angle since we're getting it. I will say that I, I was fine where it goes. The ending does leave it open for a sequel, which we all know what does come from here. The acting was solid. The effects are interesting since we cut away before we get a lot of the gore, but I think what we get leading up is fine. Soundtrack isn't as iconic while still working, and overall I would say this is above average movie still. I know some people hate this. I know it's not great. I still think it's a good time, and I come in with a 7 out of 10 on this movie. So what I'm going to go ahead and do from here is get you over to the trailer of my second featured review. Well, hello, my ghouls and goblins. I know you've got your costumes picked out for the frightful festivities. And I hope you all get more treats than tricks. Halloween's upon us! Is he a good guy? Hubie Dubois is the nicest guy in this town. Here is some happy Halloween word searches. You can pass it out to the kids. Thank you so much. As a trained volunteer, I know what it's like when your spooky fun gets out of hand. Officer Dean, the supermarket's selling expired bacon. Janet at the library has not been herself lately. I heard a voice in the sewer. I'm sorry, I didn't recognize him. It's pretty impressive how long he's been a loser. Messing with Shoopy Dubois. Murder! Ah! A Salem tradition. <laughs> you gotta expect a scare here or there. There's something off in this town. Victor ah! Lambert? <laughs> Mr. Lambert? Is that you? Salem PD? Salem needs me. What are you going to do, Mr. Dubois? We're going to do every October 31st. Make sure every citizen is protected. No one in Salem is safe tonight. So would you lose your thermos? Oh, that'll never happen. Anyway. We got an unsolved mystery here. Oh. Cuban! 
I know who did this. Not now, UB. Mayor, I suggest we cancel Halloween immediately. We ain't canceling a damn thing. <laughs> this is some Dateline NBC shit. Full of strain. Full of strain. Full of strain. <laughs> you're the best person I know. That's why you're a hero. And for my second featured review, I have Hubie Halloween. This is directed by Stephen Brill. It's is co-written between Tim Hurley and Adam Sandler who also stars in this with Kevin James and Julie Bowen. This is also featuring Ray Liotta, Steve Buscemi, Rob Schneider, Maya Rudolph, Tim Meadows, Michael Chiklis, Julie Squibb, George Wallace, Kenan Thompson, Shaquille O'Neal, Ben Stiller, and Jackie Sandler. This is, of course, from 2020. This is a comedy fantasy mystery and a little bit of horror, I would say, also mixed into there as well. This is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.2 on IMDb and a 2.4 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being, despite his devotion to hometown of Salem and its Halloween celebration, Hubie Du Bois is a figure of mockery for kids and adults alike. But this year, something is going bump in the night, and it's up to Hubie to save Halloween. Now, this is a movie that I really only watched because my Halloween episode here on this podcast, I realized that I needed to do something for it for the holidays I was saying earlier, and I couldn't find a 2020 release that was, you know, more true horror to focus on it. This one I really debated hard and figured it'd be just horror enough for it, so that's why I'm doing it here. Now to give a little bit of background for some of the key players here, I don't have a lot of horror stuff to report on is that what is interesting though is the director Stephen Brill is the guy who brought was behind Heavyweights, Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, Without a Paddle, and some other comedies like that. This is probably the most horror thing he's directed. And then sticking in the same vein is the co-writer of Tim Hearley. He seemed to be part of the Saturday Night Live crew with doing most of the writing behind the scenes as he also wrote Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, The Wedding Singer, The Waterboy, Big Daddy, Little Nicky, and Mr. Deeds. And then working with him, of course, is Adam Sandler, who they've co-wrote a lot together. Now, as I said, they two have collaborated a lot through the years. And the most horrific would probably be their Little Nicky Hotel Transylvania 2, just for, you know, some of the elements. And then the same thing is kind of for him as an actor is that outside of the ones I've already named, he doesn't really have anything in the genre. Now, what is interesting is that Kevin James, on the other hand, did do this year's Becky. He also lent his voice to Monster House and Hotel Transylvania, which have elements as well i can say here that julie bowen did have a role in american werewolf in paris and she did a voice for scooby-doo mystery incorporated now for this movie we start off at a mental hospital where we have orderly hal who is ben stiller as he busts into a room to find that the residents there are missing he calls it in that richie hartman who is we'll end up seeing much later on as schneider has escaped this information gets relayed that he's coming back to salem to the officer in charge who is sergeant steve downey who is james in this town, though, we're following around Hubie. This is Adam Sandler. He loves the holiday, but he's bullied by everyone. We see him as he tries to dodge things that kids are throwing at him. 
And one of them, which I think is kind of interesting, is it's Andy O'Doyle. Kind of like you got from Billy Madison. And this kid is portrayed by Tyler Crumley. Hubie is great at avoiding things, but he tends to get distracted and ends up crashing his bike. The first time is due to seeing Violent Valentine, who is Bowen. He's had a crush on her since the second grade, and she was the nicest girl in school. Some background here is that Violet was married to Sergeant Downey. Now that they're divorced, and she has also adopted three children. There is Tommy, who is Noah Schnapp, which I end up realizing is from Stranger Things. There's Danielle, who is Sadie Sandler, and Cookie, who is Sonny Sandler. And if you were wondering, yes, they are Adam's children. She also has a crush on Hubie, but he doesn't seem to notice. Hubie really has a rough go at it, though, and I can't stress that enough. He is bullied by Mr. Landolfa, who is Leota, Mrs. Hennessy, who is Rudolph, Lester Hennessy, who is Meadows, Father Dave, who is Chickless, Deli Mike Monday, who is Karan Barar, and pretty much all the kids, too, and we get to see this at like a Halloween party that he tries to break up. He just wants everyone to enjoy Halloween. In spite of what he goes through, he keeps a positive outlook. He also has this Inspector Gadget Thermos that is more like a Swiss Army knife as well. Now, he does still live with his mother, who is portrayed by Squib. She wants him to toughen up before she passes on, but it doesn't seem likely. Things get to get to start to get weird here, though, when Walter Lambert, who is Buscemi, moves in next door. He says some really weird things to Hubie about ignoring sounds coming from his house. There is also Hartman coming back as well. Now, Halloween starts off as it normally does with Hubie, trying to police people to do the right things. We learn that he's a bit of a snitch, which doesn't help him. People around him start to disappear. He thinks it is Walter, and Hubie believes him to be a werewolf. What is really going on in this spooky night in Salem? Upon finishing this movie, it is really hard to call it a horror movie. I'm still going to include it, as it does play with a lot of elements, and since I consider Ernest scared stupid, then I have to include this. It is really in the same vein of something like Hocus Pocus in that it's family-friendly horror. What is weird, though, is that it feels like a watered-down version of Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, so you could watch it with children of all ages. But I will say is that there's a good feeling of Halloween that we get here for sure. Placing it in Salem was good. Having backdrop of witches, werewolves, or something supernatural really does help there. Don't come in expecting it to be scary, though, because you'll be disappointed. What I will give you is that there's an uplifting message that it has. Hubie has bullied his whole life, but no matter what, he stays positive. It is easier said than done for sure, and I'll be lying if I didn't say I teared up a little bit at the end. What did make me chuckle here are all the references to previous movies from Sandler's universe. James obviously has been in grow-ups, and I guess I didn't realize this until now, but Shaquille O'Neal did as well. Bowen was in Happy Gilmore. Buscemi and Schneider are, you know, longtime guys who have at least made cameos in his movies. Meadows knew him as well from like the Saturday Night Live days. I'm pretty sure they've worked together as well. They brought back O'Doyle from Billy Madison. Stiller is his character from Happy Gilmore. And it also seems like there's a person dressed in a, in a haunted house as the demon-like things from Little Nicky. There are also references, in my opinion, to classic horror films. Not necessarily a horror film, but there's a trope that Hubie is the boy who cried wolf with his snitching on people. Richie Hartman acts a lot like Michael Myers from Halloween. He is wearing a pig mask, so this could be Motel Hell or Saw. There's a car scene similar to Christine. There is also an aspect with tracing a phone call to be like Black Christmas. I'm also thinking that the radio station could be paying homage to The Fog. A reveal that I can't give here because I'm not going to go into spoilers, but it is another from the slasher genre. Another one that isn't a movie reference are the call letters to the radio station are WTCH, which, you know, just missing that I to be witch. I'll move this over to the acting. It was fun. No one really stood out or do anything that really blew me away. Sandler is, you know, playing another of his characters. The take on the voice is just different. 
James is fine as his peaked in high school cop. Bowen is still quite attractive. She does a lot of overacting, though. Leota, Buscemi, Schneider, Rudolph, Meadows, Chiklis, Squibb, George Wallace, Keenan Thompson, Shaquille O'Neal, Kim Whitley, Lavelle Crawford, Dan Patrick, and the rest are all fine in their cameos. And I did have to confirm it before I said this on here, but Paris Berlick is quite attractive as well, as she has a kind of smaller part in this movie. There's also not a lot in the way of effects. The look and feel of Halloween is there, and the ambiance works for me. The CGI used for Hubie when he's dodging things is a bit much, and it doesn't really hold up for me. I'm not a big fan of the cheesiness with his thermos that he has, as I don't feel like it's realistic enough. And there's a supernatural aspect that I think they should have fleshed out a little bit more. I think I get what they're meaning, but there's something that would have just worked a little bit better, you know, just having just a tad bit more. Though the cinematography was fine aside from that. And I will give credit as well to the soundtrack. They use things like Monster Mash, the Purple People Eater, Ghostbusters theme, Twilight Zone's main theme, and Werewolves of London, to just name a few. And this also probably helped with the feel of the movie as well. So before I kind of close out with my final thoughts, I just wanted to share a little bit of trivia that I found is that Cameron Boyce was going to appear in the movie before his death on July 6, 2019. Boyce would have reunited with his former co-stars of Peyton List and Karar Brar from Disney Channel's Jesse and The Descendants, as well as his former co-stars from Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2. This movie is dedicated to him. Hubie has a poster of Burt Reynolds from Smokey and the Bandit in his room as tribute to the late actor who starred alongside him in The Longest Yard. I already said this one, but Adam Sandler's real-life daughters appear in the movie. The Mare's Garish Jacket is supposed to be a ripoff of Mare's Jacket and Jaws. Both Mare's refuse to cut off festivities despite potential harm. This is the fifth Adam Sandler movie where his love interest has the initials of VV. The other films are Billy Madison, where we had Veronica Vaughn. Happy Gilmore, who also has Bowen of Virginia Venet. The Waterboy of Vicky Valancourt and Little Nicky with Valerie Veron. It was announced on October 15th, 2020, that Boston 7 news station... WHDH fired reporter Alana Pinto after appearing as a news reporter in Hubie Halloween because it violated her exclusive contract with the station. The cook at the Black Cat Diner is Tayback. This is a tribute to Vic Tayback, who played Mel Sharples, the owner and cook in, at Mel's Diner in the 1970 series Alice. Ray Liotta and his real-life daughter of Carson Liotta have small supporting roles. One of the characters is dressed up as Barb. Noah Schnapp is one of the cast members of course, on Netflix's Stranger Things. This finished filming Labor Day weekend 2019. This is Kenan Thompson's first time in a Sandler movie. The scene where Hubie approaches the old car in the drive-in movie theater with its headlights to come on is a nod to Christine. This also has the same setting as Hocus Pocus. Danielle was watching Creature from the Black Lagoon on TV. So just close this out. Was this a great movie? No. It doesn't even rank near the top of Sandler movies for me. What I will say is they did a pretty solid family fun film that has some horror elements. It really embodies that feel of Halloween. It is a good message. There are some fun cameos. and I think this could have been a bit farther with some stuff, but I'm not really the target audience here. For me, I'd say this is an over average movie. It is fun with a good message, like I've said, just lacking something to really make it stand out. So I had to come in with a 6 out of 10 on this movie. So what I'm going to go ahead and do, though, is get you over to one last musical break before I close out this Halloween episode. I was working in the lab late 
night, for my monster from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. Wow. From my laboratory in the castle east wow. to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode wow. to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the match. They did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They did the match. It caught on in a flash. They did the match. And his son. Wow. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. Wow. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It caught on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster match. Out from his coffin rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band And my monster mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what is said Then you can mash Then you can monster mash The monster mash And do my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on in a flash Then you can mash Then you can monster mash I would like to welcome you back one last time and to first start off I want to thank you for coming on this journey with me here today. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. You can re read any of the reviews from here or any of my past reviews at Reviews of the Dead, and that's horrorreview.webnode.com. I'll have that link in the show notes. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook, you can do so at David Michigan Garrett Jr. There is, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Buckeye from Mish. Letterbox, I'm David OSU. Again, links in the show notes. If you'd like to follow my Instagram, I'm David OSU87. If you'd like to follow the Journey with a Cinephile Instagram, that is Journey with a Cinephile. And then the last thing I'll ask, if you could subscribe to whatever podcatching device you are to this show, so that way you never miss a new episode. And also, if you could go ahead and rate and review on there, just so I can get in front of more fans, as well as figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like. And then for the next episode is going to be the start of season two, which is pretty exciting. This is 
you know, 52 episodes here have been, you know, kind of crazy. Didn't know if I would be doing it this long. So I want to thank everybody who has been listening to me, you know, thus far, as you've definitely kept me inspired to keep going. And what I'm going to go ahead and do is, since it is November, and I like to kind of follow what the 22 Shots of Foods and Horror are doing over on theirs as they celebrate Italian Horror Month. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is, that's how I started the show last year, so I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not sure what I'm going to watch yet. I think I'm going to go on to Letterboxd and figure out the top Italian horror film that I haven't seen yet. Go ahead, watch, you know, and review that for the next episode. Not sure what that'll be yet. And then I'll also probably throw on a another film as well that'll be from 2020. Again, not sure what that'll be, but I'll try to see if I can, you know, sync them up to kind of have some duality there, if at all possible. But that's all I really kind of wanted to get you up to speed with here on this episode. I hope you had a happy Halloween and everything. What I'm going to say, though, is that whatever you do today, I hope you're safe in doing that and have a great time. This is your tour guide, David Garrett Jr., signing off.